This is Built to Sell Radio with your host, John Warlow. This episode of Built to Sell Radio is brought to you by the Value Builder System, which is the company I started after I wrote the book Built to Sell. You know, if you're interested in working with us, what we're going to have you do is start by completing your Value Builder questionnaire. We're going to give you a score out of a possible 100, and that's going to relate to how acquirers would view your business. The lower the score, the worse off you are, the higher the score, the better you are. And the average business who starts with us gets a score of 59 out of possible 100. Now, if you work with us over time, we're going to have you work on these eight key drivers of your company's value. Think, things like recurring revenue, structure of your management team, your financial performance, your growth potential. And at the end of that process, if you're able to get your score up to a score of 80 or greater, we can see statistically, now having worked with more than 20,000 businesses, that you're going to go on to improve the value of your business by an average 71%. So there's a demonstrable economic benefit to working with us. The first step is to get your value builder score. And you're going to do that by going to valuebuildersystem.com. So Jack Rhodes started JP's Coffee Shop and over a 20-year period grew it into a very successful independent coffee shop to the point where USA Today ranked it as one of the top 10 coffee shops in America. Uh, real success story when the, uh, in the context of a you know, small retail business in a small market. He was based in Holland, Michigan. And uh, you know, a, a success story, but ultimately Jack decided to sell the business. And when he sold it, there were three components of the negotiation. There was obviously the, the asset purchase, what the buyer was buying, but there was also an employment agreement and there was also a lease because Jack owned the building in which he operated. And all three factored into the sale of his business. And as you go to sell your company, remember that the offer you get uh, is not just the sale price, which is you know, the headline number, which is obviously going to get your attention. There's other, there are often other elements. Uh, there may be an earnout. There may be uh, you, you know, a vendor take back when you're financing the buyer. Uh, there may be an employment agreement. And so negotiating these other elements can be just as important as negotiating the ultimate sale price. Uh, I hope you enjoy the interview with Jack Grote. Jack, welcome to Built to Sell Radio. Thank you. Welcome uh, to you joining my little world here. Yeah, for sure. So tell me a little bit about JP's, this coffee shop you own. Uh, 1993, uh, Starbucks had about 200 stores. And um, for a couple of years leading up to that, I had kind of this dream and this vision to open my own coffee shop. Um, really had no experience or any reason to believe that I would succeed, but I did it anyway. And um, I think we hit it at the right time. It was a great growth uh, time in the 90s for, for coffee shops. So started out with a 2,000 square foot coffee shop in Holland, Michigan. Uh, later expanded the footprint. I had started another business on the other side of the building that I leased. Uh, that was another 2,000 square feet. And eventually, um, that's another whole long story, but I closed that business and, and sold off um, another part of that and then incorporated the whole square footage to um, JP's. And so it then went from a 2,000 square foot coffee house to a 4,000 square foot coffee house. And um, we see about... 100 people inside, a uh, nice outdoor cafe. Holland, Michigan, for anybody who doesn't know anything about it, is an award-winning downtown. And so uh, we had a fabulous location, very, very busy destination coffee shop in, a, in an incredible downtown. 
And did you so, own the location or were you renting it? At that point, I was leasing the building. I, since that time, I've secured the building and still own the building um, today. But at that time, I was leasing it. Got it. And so you started the business in 93. You grew it and ultimately sold it in 2000? 2014 was uh, when we sold. Got it. So you had a good run. Um, you know, maybe talk a little bit about how your sales grew over that time. I mean, what what were your sales maybe in the first year? And then do you, do you remember what they were when you, when yeah. you ultimately exited? Yeah. So um, uh, I, I would say 1994, which was our first full year, we did um, just over a quarter million in sales. And, um, you know, we, we were very busy. Um, it was definitely me and a few employees. Uh, very small scale, and over the course of the years, um, we we grew. Um, within five years, I had paid off all my debt and was debt free, and and had a great little operation going. Um, then I brought in a consultant, and we remodeled the store. Um, basically, um, you know, reinvented it, started from scratch to to a great degree. Closed the store for about nine days and uh, reopened it, and. Um, it was because we had made some classic mistakes, or I should say I made some classic mistakes in my design and layout and improved that. And so then our sales again uh, increased and started going up by early 2000s. We were hitting about a half million, um, a little bit over that. And we really maxed out the store at, uh, we broke a million um, one year, but our last few years of operation, the store was, you know, just shy of a million dollar operation pretty much every year. Great. And so the growth of that business, how did your role evolve from the early days to when you ultimately sold it? Um, you know, I guess I would describe myself um, as a serial entrepreneur, or as my wife would say, um, if I get bored, I get dangerous. So, um, you know, once the business was up and running, I mean, when I first started, I did everything along with my staff, but my goal was to move from working in my business to working on my business. So um, I put systems in place. I had worked at a company that was a very uh, well-run, systematized company. And so I, I used that, that knowledge and that training uh, to build the same thing in my business. So within the course of a few years, I went to the place where um, I built a team. Um, I had an operations manager and assistant managers and a staff um, and, and really um, was an owner. Um, I, at a certain point, was no longer needed, uh, at least as it pertained to the operation of the business. I was still there pretty much, you know, most days, um, but I, I wasn't needed to actually function in the business and my job you know, it morphed into being a leader. So I led my team, I led my staff, and I became um, overseeing the, 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 the functions that they operated in. Tell, um, tell me about the decision to buy the building. Um, when, I first, when I first started the business, so in 1993, my landlord said to me, buy the building from me, please. And of course, I'm a new business owner. There's no way I could do that. So I said, well, I can't. So I leased the building. About five years later, I'm debt free and things are going good. So I go back to him and I say, hey, I'm ready to buy the building. And he says, you know, you're a really good tenant. I don't know that I want to sell right now. So um, 
I tried over about the next 15 years from probably about 98 or 99 uh, up until I finally got the building in 2013. I probably put um, up to a half a dozen formal proposals together during that time, as well as numerous conversations with him. Um, he's a retired attorney, um, used to be kind of, I mean, the man in Holland, Michigan, one of them, a great guy. Um, nothing wrong. He, he had just begun to realize a return on his investment and didn't want to sell. And the way I finally actually got the deal done was since I wasn't getting through to him, I brought in a, a mediator who happened to be an attorney from his former firm that he had worked with for about 25 years. And I was able to get the deal done. So when you say you weren't getting through to him, I mean, I, I'm assuming that means you weren't giving him the price he was asking. Um, you know, that's probably part of it, although I did have an appraisal done a couple times and, and gave him what was a fair market value offer um, to him because he had a quite a large asset base um, and he was retired. What was more important to him was that revenue stream. And we had a great relationship and he was just happy with status quo so that I, I didn't have any leverage to move him. And what, uh, I mean, what did the mediator ultimately do to get him over the finish line? Um, I would say the mediator helped him understand that it was good for both parties because of his age and his health being not so good. Um, you know, me, I would have ended up having to deal with his trustees or his kids. And, you know, we just had a good working relationship. And I think the mediator was able to probably explain it in a way that I couldn't. I want to come back to the location and the role it played in the ultimate sale of your company. But let's move now into the sale of this business. So you've built up this nice business. You've gone from being kind of a, uh, you know, to use a Michael Gerber expression, working in to, to working on the business. What was the triggering event that made you want to sell? Um, you know, it, it's kind of funny. So over the years, I had always told my manager, I said, um, if anybody ever comes along and writes me a check with a lot of zeros, you're going to have a new boss. And, you know, in hindsight being 2020, I look at that and I say, why did I say that? I, I guess I would say that although I loved the industry and I loved what I did and I was involved in, in, in multiple levels um, and actually, you know, had created other businesses in the same industry and sold those all together with JPs, there was still this thing that I, that I held it loosely. In other words, my business existed to serve me. I didn't exist to serve it. So what had happened was in February of 2014, a vendor of mine came to me and um, I did consulting in, uh, in the, the coffee business and in business in general. And so this vendor came to me and said, um, hey, I'd like to meet with you. I'd like to talk with you. And so we met at the coffee shop and sat and talked for an hour and a half. And at the end of the conversation, um, he said to me, you know, you've created something of real value here. You know, you have great value, great culture. If you ever decide to sell, I want to be first in line. It totally caught me off guard. I was not expecting it. Um, I was not looking for it. And so I went home that night and said to my wife, um, I think somebody just tried to buy our business today. I, I didn't know what to do with it at that time, but I have a good friend who's kind of a, um, He's a little bit of an M&A uh, turnaround guy. Um, he does, he, I guess I call him <laughs> with a with a smile, I call him a hatchet man. 
And um, so I called up my buddy, Russ, and I said, Russ, we got to meet. So we met for coffee and I said, somebody tried to buy my business. What do I do? I'm not looking to sell. What do I do with this? And Russ, who's just a great friend and a, and a very wise guy, looks at me and he says, Jack, whether you sell or not is irrelevant. You must follow this process. You must learn and you must go through it and and improve and learn through that process who you are and who your company is. And you'll come out the other end, you know, just better for it. So that was actually the triggering event. So this vendor, what did, what did the vendor sell you, by the way? Were, were they the coffee beans or marketing um, guy? Or what was the, they, what they, they were actually a, a coffee roaster and a distributor of nuts and um, ancillary items. Uh, we bought from them almost literally since the day we started. They're a great company, great people. Um, the owner and I, I wouldn't say you know before that time we were friends but we we're definitely acquaintances and had a really a good respect and you know i had seen him a few times and we would talk and 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 you know so we had a rapport going so uh the it was the owner of this roasting company that that approached Correct. you about buying got it uh michigan guy based yep, in holland michigan as well. guy, so based local, in Rapids. Yep. and could see the buzz that you'd created in in the community the location, the traffic, they'd obviously kind of seen the store. Is that right? Yeah. And, and I would say, and, I, and I'll bring this in right now, you know, the other parts of the business that, um, that I sold, um, I had created a coffee and business school and we trained people who were going into the industry. I started that in about 2007 and had a, a team and, it, it, you know, our employees kind of um, would do multiple roles. So they would work in the coffee bar and they would also work in training uh, people that were going into the business. So we created a school and over a period of time um, had built a, a pretty good reputation, actually trained people nationally and internationally. So we had people coming from, um, you know, the, the bulk of it was the Midwest. We had a good portion coming from all around the United States and Mexico and Canada, and we had some international people coming from uh, Europe and, and overseas and coming to this little school in Holland, Michigan, where we would train people in coffee and business. And of course, because we did it every day, it had a unique place that people, I think, really um, saw that they would come and learn, but they would also learn from somebody who was doing it every day. So, Was the offer to buy your business for the coffee shop or the entire business including no, the school? No, it was, it was everything lock, stock, and barrel. So it was my consulting practice. It was my the barista school. Um, we had created um, some products that we sold to the industry that were um, you know, training DVDs and, and, and products and, and stuff like that. So it was literally, we had multiple websites and um, it was everything lock, stock, and barrel. Well, give us a sense of the revenue of the company, and it, not only the shop, but also some of the other pieces when you actually uh, were having these conversations with this vendor. When you add it all together, it's about a million and a quarter. So that was everything. Got it. And so the, 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 take us through the rest of the process. So the vendor comes to you, you have this meeting with Russ saying, you know, this is what's gone. The Russ says, hey, you got to go through this process. It'll be good for you. Next step, what happens next? So, so that was the end of February 2014. Now, because I know um, him, his name is John. I know John, and and I know you know his character. I know his ethics. I know what type of person he is. There's there's already this really high level of trust um, 
between us. So um, I went home after, you know, I had spoke with Russ, I spoke with my wife. And it was funny because I said to my wife, I said, you know what, next step, if, if this is going to go forward, next step is I want him and his wife to get together with you and me. And so the next contact I had from him, which was about a month later, so you're talking now you're approaching the end of March, he contacts me and he said, my wife and I would like to take you and your wife out for dinner. So it was really cool because, you know, the feeling that I had was the same feeling that he had. And that was, if this is a good deal and if this is to be done, it will resonate with our spouses. So we went out for a wonderful meal and literally we, it was a four hour dinner and we didn't talk about business one iota. It was literally not one word was about business. It was just a getting to know each other better, talking about life and kids and church and family and, and, and community and, and all of this other stuff. And we walked away from it. And, um, at that time I had kind of slipped them an NDA. So he, he had signed that, gave it back to me. And, and yet that meeting was not about business, but it was really about, are, are we going to get along as, as owners? Because the goal was not just Jack's going to sell and, and go right off into the sunset. It was Jack's going to sell and, and be part of what's going forward. And did you know that you were going to have to be, and, and did you know you wanted to be involved going forward after you I did? You did. Because I, 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 that's I rare. A lot of people wouldn't, right? A lot of people would want to sell, take the check, and leave. Yeah. And I, and I wanted to because, like, right now I'm, I'm 53 years old. I'm, you know, um, I don't have any health issues. I have energy. I have ideas. And I had built something in, you know, the coffee industry. And they were a, a much larger company who, you know, was, was taking over everything that I had and then offering me a role in there that was what I called kind of the next and probably last step in my career. Um, the, so we put the, the deal that we put together was um, an asset purchase agreement an employment contract, and then, of course, a lease because I own the building and they were leasing it from me. Um, so it was a five-year employment contract, and I was given the position of director of retail. So now I immediately stepped from overseeing one retail outlet to overseeing multiple retail outlets and um, some other responsibilities that went along with it. So I, I was excited about what the future held. But a lot of people in your shoes you know, at that dinner, they would have come away saying, I've got all this energy. Um, I've still got ideas to use your own words. Why not continue to own the business and and apply those to your own business? I mean, why was it attractive to you to to sell it? What, I mean, was, was there a financial component to it? Was there something else going on in your life that the idea of selling felt better than, than retaining 100% of the ownership and applying your ideas and energy to your own business? Well, yeah, there was. It was actually a financial component. So when I mentioned a minute ago about the other half of the building, in uh, about the year 2000, I created a juice and smoothie bar concept and put it in the other half of the building. Uh, ran that for four years before I closed the store due to uh, poor financial performance. Um, in the In the middle of that, um, I had also franchised that concept. So uh, created a store, franchised the concept. And then, of course, when my own store is not performing well, it, it made it, you know, 
the psychology of that, basically trying to sell something that you're not succeeding at yourself, became really, really difficult. So uh, we, we closed the store in 2004. I ended up actually selling the franchise in 2007. Uh, that's a whole other story. And basically, it was kind of a white elephant um, that I was able to sell for, you know, really a fraction of what I had invested in it. But that whole process of creating another store right after remodeling my own store and then creating a franchise, I had taken on a large amount of debt. Um, at that point, you know, I, I think a good lesson for for myself, of course, and for your listeners is when you when you have opened one business or one store or created a concept and it's incredibly successful, you can tend to think you have the Midas touch. So, you know, gosh, we've done really well here. Well, let's do that. And everything looks good. Everything sounds good. Um, you know, you have your advisors around you and nobody's really thinking that, well, gosh, you could actually fail at something. And what happened was exactly that. I, I, I mean, I, I learned a ton and I don't consider myself a failure because that's not the point. But the, the reality was, is I had failed in a retail operation, um, sold the franchise, didn't actually end up getting paid everything that I was supposed to because the guy who bought it from me in 2007, of course, the economy tanked and he basically um, went under. So I didn't get paid for that. So I had this large amount of debt and it was all resting on the shoulders of the performance of our um, our coffee shop. So there was a what I call my master's degree of the school of hard knocks was that that whole um, period. So going through it, you know, we realized that you know using debt to to do that was not what we wanted to do. So we we took a different tack and we began to basically be ruthless in our um, paying down debt and uh, getting ourselves in a both personally as well as business wise a very uh, a better solid position and we had done so I mean we had come back from literally the precipice of losing everything I mean I was um, I almost lost everything and we brought it back and yet when I sold I still had debt that if I could get the correct price in my mind for everything, um, it would solve the, you know, that debt problem instantly, as well as allow me to realize the value of what I had worked for 20 years to build. And what John was offering was a way to do exactly that. It was, it, to me, it was a, um, you know, it was a win, win, win all the way around. I mean, he needed what I had. I needed what he had and it helped me, Kind of wrap up that final chapter and and move forward. So it was it was really a win 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 in what we were doing. So you had this wonderful dinner with with John and his spouse, and there's obviously a great degree of rapport. How did the negotiation itself uh, play out? I mean, did you put an offer or did you put a price on your business? Did he put an offer in front of you? I mean, who made the first move? Um, actually the way, the way that it went was, so I went actually, you know what, I think my dates are off just a little bit, but there was one meeting just before we got together with our wives. And so after he had come to me and we met, um, it was about a month later that I went back to him. I contacted him and said, I'd like to meet. So he thought I was coming to present a plan on like consulting and training for his staff, helping him with his culture and all this stuff. 
So we met in his um, uh, conference room for a couple hours and just, you know, talked until the conversation had run its course. And at the end of that couple of hours, I, I looked at John and I go, well, you know why I'm here, don't you? And he kind of looks at me and he goes, no. And I said, you offered to buy my business. And he goes, oh, because in his mind, he was thinking a year from now, three years from now, five years from now, because he didn't see me as, as like at that point. It was after that that we met with our uh, wives. So I went back to him and that began a whole nother conversation. So we had another three hours of conversing in his conference room. And during that time, of course, you know, it, it begs the question, well, how much do you want for it? So he asked me, he said, well, do you have a price in mind? And I had already done some due diligence with my buddy Russ and talked with my CPA. And actually, about five years prior to this, I had another company that had approached me that was interested in both my building and my business. Um, but I could see very quickly that they were really more interested in my location than they were in taking over my business. So we we didn't go through with any further negotiations. But at that time, it was it was that strategic price. So my CPA and I sat down and said, all right, if I'm going to get X for the business, I can do this, 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 and this. And that accomplishes my goals. So what I presented to John at that moment when he asked me, did I have a price, is I had a range. And I said to him, well, if if I'm going to sell this all, my range is going to contain, you know, so many zeros, so many commas, that type of thing. And he looked back at me and said, that doesn't scare me. You know, and to me, that was kind of the litmus test of do we go any further? So you gave him a range. I gave him a range. How big was a range? Like, was it 10% difference between the bottom and the top of the range? 50%? Actually, I didn't even say a number. I literally said it contains this many zeros. If it's, if it's not, if your number is not this many zeros, then, you know, have a nice day. Right. And, you know, and it was an incredibly friendly conversation. There was no, you know, um, there was no like needling or nothing bad about it. It was just from my perspective, it was simply stating a fact that if, if the range doesn't include a certain amount of zeros, we're just not in the same way. And I'm assuming it was six zeros you were looking for. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, it was definitely six zero. So what, I mean, talk a little bit about the negotiation back and forth now. So when did the actual conversation go from sort of casual to you get a, you know, an actual piece of paper in front of you? So, so, um, we had that second meeting, um, he, he expressed interest. So then we went out with the wives and then after that, so you're talking now we're going into April and it moved very quickly. Um, John and I talked and basically we both said, look, um, this is not about, um, you know, giving attorneys an opportunity to make a lot of money. You and I are going to sit down, hash out the details, and then we're going to bring in the attorneys who will draft the contracts. But we'll figure it all out ahead of time and just tell them what to write. So um, he used uh, a firm in Grand Rapids that um, it, it was actually a different firm than the firm he had used you know, for other stuff in the past, just because he wanted to keep it confidential. Uh, for us, confidentiality was really, really important for a number of reasons. So he hired a firm, and after he and I had negotiated um, 
basically the the terms of the deal. He brought in the attorney who wrote it up. But I mean, literally the timeline went from our first meeting of February. Our second meeting was end of March. We got together with our wives in April and we signed the deal um, about the third week of May. So the deal had three components, an asset uh, purchase price, an employment contract, and a lease. When it comes to the asset purchase, I'm assuming it was uh, a portion up front and then a portion in the future. How did that get structured? Yeah. Um, you know, I had one uh, idea or, you know, I wanted it structured more like I want half down and half over five years. Um, he wanted more like uh, a quarter down the balance over um, 10 years. And we, we kind of met in the middle. So um, probably the easiest way to say it is I got um, just over a quarter of it up front right at the signing. And then I got another, oh, let's say one fifth of it um, at the beginning of this year. And then the balance of it was just uh, a promissory note over a 10 year period with no there's no obligations, no earnouts or anything. It's just strictly a promissory note. And what's the interest rate on the promissory note? Three uh, percent. So the, the goal was not to to build interest, but just to maintain cost of living. Got it to track inflation and so yeah. forth. And yep. so, talk a little bit, if you would, uh, about what happens if he doesn't uh, pay. Do you get the shop back, or what's what's the? Uh, yeah, there's there's some verbiage in the contract. I don't know exactly what it is. The one thing that I put in there is that if he sells his business, then he has to pay in full at that point. Got it. So it so accelerates it, all the way up to It accelerates, and it protects me from having to deal with somebody else. But, I mean, John is, I, like I said, I've known John for many years. He is truly a man of character and integrity. I have zero uh, doubt in his ability and his character that he will take care of his obligations. And the employment contract you signed, would that be for a market rate salary or was there something sort of creative done around the employment contract? Um, the employment contract was, um, it actually was an increase in my salary over what I had been making plus bennies. So I, you know, health insurance and bonuses and, and stuff like that. So, I mean, it was, it was a very, it was a lucrative uh, position with a lot of upside over the course of the next few years. You know, the employment contract is something I want to dig into because for other listeners, we haven't actually talked much about this in Built to Sell Radio, but the employment contract is one of those sort of often forgotten documents in the sale of a business, but it's actually can be critical because in your case, it's a five-year employment contract. How you, you know, how did you handle um, things like, you know, dismissal? So, what if John wanted to fire you one day? What's yeah? It it, it, it was structured in such a way that, um, you know, really the only out quote unquote that I had was if I'm derelict in my duties, which of course I'm not going to be. But if they considered me uh, derelict in my duties, which that could include anything that let's say violated um, the handbook, you know, if I became a drug addict or or was, you know, totally incompetent, stuff like that, they could uh, let me go. From uh, the other perspective, it gave me the guarantee that they can't mess with me. So, I mean, I had a job, and as long as I performed my job, I had um, a secure income for the next five years. Um, the interesting thing that I, that I learned going through this process, because um, I, I later resigned from, from my job, 
So I'm into the job and I, I get to the point of, of resigning. And all of a sudden I realized there's nothing in place for me to resign. Um, I, I guess I was a bit naive in, in just thinking, well, you know, if it doesn't work out, I'll just quit. But what I didn't realize is I didn't sign the contract. So the way out of it would be, you know, technically would be for me to go, well, I'm going to just be a screw up and then I can get out. But of course, I'm not going to do that. So what I did is when I resigned, I simply went and sat in his office and said, John, I, I, it's not working. I can't do this anymore. And, and then we came to an agreement and he let me out of the contract. Why did you want to resign? Oh, boy. Um, I'll give you the, the short story first and then I'll give you a little more detail. The short story is, is um, I don't play well with others. Um, I like my own sandbox and I need to be the leader. Um, when, when I went to work for John, I, I, I told some people, I said, you know, the great thing about this entire deal is it's two companies with very similar values and culture. When I actually went to work with them, which started June of 2014, um, the first three months were what I call a honeymoon phase. I mean, everything was beautiful and, and you know, now I have two offices. I'm feeling like, you know, I mean, everything's cool. I mean, I've got this new responsibilities. I got more people reporting to me. I got more managers reporting to me. Um, I'm leading my teams. Um, I literally had half of the new organization reporting to me because I was over retail, which was a lot of employees. So I had about, you know, 60 people um, reporting to me through my managers. And the first three months was you know, putting together job descriptions and, and, you know, reviewing everybody and everything and all my systems and getting that in place. The next three months, um, I started to see differences in our culture. So I ran things a certain way. And now I was feeling, starting to feel boxed in because, you know, they operated a certain way. I'm not faulting them uh, or me. I'm just saying when you put an entrepreneur together with another entrepreneur who have what I thought was similar cultures, but they were not. They were actually very different cultures. Um, problems started arising. So the second three months, um, I like to say, I started seeing cracks in the marriage. And then by the time the last three months, because I was there a total of nine months, by the time the last three months, um, I, I didn't, I wasn't enjoying getting up and going to work anymore. I was um, I was starting to dread getting up. I was starting to dread certain people and certain ways of handling things. And again, I'm not faulting them. I'm just saying for me, I was used to a very different business experience and being put in that position. Um, I hadn't realized how I was not able to function in that environment. It's one of the uh, things, you know, that when, We've done lots of interviews now for, for Built to Sell Radio, and I, and I think that it's one of the most common themes that we hear is, is that how difficult it is for entrepreneurs to, to work underneath another organization, whether it's in an employment contract or an earnout or, or some sort of uh, you know, transition period. You, t you, you, know, you take an, an entrepreneur who has had all that freedom, and, and let's be honest, what, what makes us entrepreneurs uh, are, are the exact same qualities that make it very difficult for us to be employees. It's, it's exactly right. So I, I just got to the point where it was frustrating. It was funny. So um, we had 
uh, we were taking our, uh, I have three boys, two of them are still at home. And so um, as part of the uh, celebration for selling our business, we were taking, uh, going with the four of us on a, on a nice cruise. So um, it was, it was really interesting because I decided before we left on the cruise that the day I got back from the cruise, I would resign. So it was, um, we had an awesome time because I was with my wife and my two boys. And yet at the same token, I knew that literally coming home meant walking into his office and resigning. You've been through a roller coaster career with some tremendous highs, but also some, some, some difficult times, right? Through yeah, the other business. You know, working for a period for John, would you want your son to be an entrepreneur? <laughs> oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, my dad told me when I was a young boy, he was a builder, he was a home builder and did real estate as a broker. When I was a, a young boy, he said to me, you know, Jack, whatever you do, just do it with all your heart. If you're a garbage man, be the best garbage man that you can be. If you want to go into building, you know, you're welcome here, but that's, you know, I don't, ex I'm not going to, I'm not going to plug you in that hole and expect you to perform. And I, I did the same thing to my boys when they were little, you know, they worked at the coffee shop, all of them. And they started by, you know, putting an apron on and cleaning shelves and doing little tasks and probably getting in, you know, people's hair more than anything. But it was, it was a neat experience and a neat opportunity for all three of my boys. And yet at the same token, I told them all. If you want to get into this industry and this business, I'll support you. I'll help you. I'll do whatever I can to help you succeed. But this is my gig. You know, my my timing of getting in the industry, my growth, my giftings are not yours. And you need to do what's in your heart to do and what God created you specifically to do. And that may not be what I do. So. My oldest son is actually in the Air Force uh, and will probably be out next year. And then he's going to start stuff. I, I see kind of an entrepreneurial bent in him. We'll see where that goes. And then my middle boy is in college. My youngest is a senior in high school. So it hasn't played out. But I don't know that I see the same thing in them as, as I sense in myself. Jack, where do people reach you if they want to uh, reach out to you? Um, I created a website. It's, it's interesting. So after I left, you know, working for them, I, I took some time off and, and, and now, um, I created a new website and it's called leaderization. So it's leaderization.com. I, I coined that phrase because trying to figure out kind of what motivated me was, was really leadership. And so, um, if you go to that website, there's a contact form there that people can reach me or they can, uh, email me at jack at jackgrote.com. Leaderization.com. Jack Grote, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Built to Sell Radio with John Warlow. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit builttosell.com slash blog. John is the founder of the Value Builder System. To find out how to improve the value of your business by 71%, visit valuebuildersystem.com. John is also the author of Built to Sell, creating a business that can thrive without you, and the automatic customer, creating a subscription business in any industry. Connect with John at facebook.com slash built to sell or on Twitter at John Warlow, W-A-R-R-I-L-L-O-W. -L -L Thanks for listening.